Ripping and tearing its way to you this week on the Rumble Pack podcast is a topic that covers so many excellent characters and iconic moments, it would be criminal not to give them their own episode. And that, of course, is the subject of boss battles. From gargantuan titans and big clumps of sentient goo to fearsome pirate ships and conniving assassins, we're here to yak about some of the very best and very worst boss battles we've ever encountered. That's not all. We're also going to paint the picture of what we believe makes or breaks a boss battle and the impact they leave on the overall game, from narrative timing, risk versus reward and difficulty, right through to how big and ugly they are. We've certainly encountered some real belters throughout our journey, and we can't wait to share our thoughts and memories with you. Rise, King Jimbo, and cue that theme. It's time to battle. Hey guys, welcome back to the Rumble Pack Podcast, episode 21, where we're going to talk about some boss battles in video games, or why we love boss battles. I'm here with Luke. Hello, Luke. Hello, Will. How are you going today? Yeah, Up good. in Melbourne. Yeah, good. How are you down uh, down the, uh, what, are we, what are you down? The internet line with the rabbits chewing on or something? What was that? Yeah, pr- pretty, pretty well. We've only got one more rabbit to... Uh only one more rabbit's needed to chew through the whole line, so I better get up to Melbourne quick. Yeah, well, luckily, next weekend's the week. Uh, not is. that we'll be able to see each other for some time, probably. But yeah, probably. we're still here doing the Rumble Pack, and uh, we wanted to, you know, take a break from our week-to-week game sort of report analysis. I don't know what we even call what we do. Uh, and, yeah, just talk about boss battles in games, which are some of the most important uh, parts of gaming. And what we love about them, some of our favourites, some of our least favourites. Uh, got anything to say about that? Well, I just think, as everyone knows, they're a crucial part of any video game uh, journey, really. Whether it's, uh, you know, from isolated to one game or across, you, you know, your entire collection of video games. I'm sure everything, every game that you've got there is defined by a boss battle in one way or another. Or if not, yeah. obviously... Uh, as we'll discuss, they don't necessarily apply to every single game you play mm-hmm. or every type of game or genre. Uh, but for the large part, especially in our gaming youth, uh, back in the PS1, Nintendo 64 sort of era, pretty much everything had about 50 boss battles in every single uh, yeah. <laughs> every single game. So we've got plenty to uh, discuss, that's for sure, and um, they, they've certainly left their mark on us. Yeah, that's for sure. Before we get into it, uh, I think we should say... Still in lockdown uh, in Australia, no rum, but not long until we're back together in person, I'd, I would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we're back together in person, it's going to be a celebration. And let's be honest, we might dunk the whole bottle. I'm not yeah, even before, sure yet. Before we start. Yes, because <laughs> we haven't seen each other in <laughs> months, I don't think, yeah. now uh, in person. So, don't worry, the rum's coming back for sure and it's coming back strong. But at the moment, we're recording online in the morning and it seems a bit wrong to have a few swigs of rum at uh, 10 a.m. or something. So, <laughs> let's, yeah. let's keep that for when we get back in person. But we push on and we're doing our very best to uh, fight through our you know foot-long beards and uh, two-feet-long hair of <laughs> yeah. uh, what are basically dreadlocks now. So, uh, <laughs> mum, dad, if you're out there, we're, we're okay. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, we're okay. 
We're okay. <laughs> Not sure what a shower is anymore, but we're fine. So, yeah. boss battles. Uh, I wanted to start off the conversation with just asking you a question, and I'll answer it as well, of course. But what what does a boss battle mean mean to you slash us? What does a boss battle really mean? Well, I guess a boss battle to me is or should be almost like a a, culm- a culmination point of everything you've learned in a video game up until that point. Uh, so really, a boss battle is sort of, should be the the most challenging part uh, of almost the level or that part of the game that you're up to, and it should uh, yeah challenge you in ways that the game hasn't previously, but also teach you something else as well. Yeah. Uh, so it should should be the so the part of the game that kicks you on to the next next phase rather than just be, you know, some dopey villain just chucked in there to, I don't know, just for the sake of fighting someone cool, mm. which which happens a lot, obviously. Um, there are uh, quite a few examples out there of, you know, of, uh, yeah, bosses or villains that pop up with no narrative context or anything like that just to try to ruin your day. And to be fair, I think they do ruin your day when they do that. But <laughs> yeah, not for the, sometimes. <laughs> not, um, <laughs> but like, um, I think it's a payoff for them. Payoff to your hard work through mm. it, leading up to it is kind of what you're 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 saying as well. I think you mm. work so hard uh, during the in between sections, learning the craft of the character you're playing or or whatever, and then the boss battle is a chance for you to uh, show off everything that you've learnt and gotten good at, plus a little bit more sometimes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I, I just. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't think that they're. If, if you're ever just doing it and not actually understanding why they're there or what you're actually getting out of it, then I think that means that it's um, not very good. So, but really, in my heart of hearts, a boss battle is a just a, a worthy a worthy challenger for me at that the the time of mm. uh, taking them on. Yeah, I think it can be. I think the best boss battles. And when we get to our examples, I'm sure it will reflect it. But I think the best ones are those that are sort of the ending uh, or climax of of the journey, like the the sort of the blow off between two enemies. Ah, uh, sorry, an enemy and a and a hero, or or you know some sort of mysterious final character that mm. was looming in the background, but you didn't you didn't fully know who they were or or whatever. And I think the best ones, yeah, where where it all comes, push comes to shove, you've played the whole game, the only way the only way to end it is to go one-on-one with, with someone or something in a grand fashion. I think that's the always the most mm. exciting thing when you've got a big uh, something huge and you're just coming up against it and it looks so impossible to defeat but because of what you learnt, I think, you, yeah, you get your grips quick and it's, that payoff is what makes it so special. Um, mm. But it's also a chance as well to... Uh, show off, show off a character's true self. I think as well, especially with the villains. I think a lot of time mm. villains are, are held back for so long during games, and then their their final form or their or their real mo- uh, motives, uh, motivations, or or something like that come out in the bo- grand boss battle setting. So it's always nice to see a bit more storytelling as well. Mm. And uh, yeah, and I think, and on a truly like personal level, and everyone will have a different opinion, but. I think it's all about as it's as much as about uh, the 
I guess the culmination of a lot of plot points as well, mm. rather than rather than just a gameplay from a gameplay perspective. Um, like as everyone's probably well and truly used to and sick of by now. I obviously love uh, narrative more than um, yeah, you know, ten times more than gameplay or anything like that. Mm. But uh, it's um, yeah, for me that's where it really uh, you can really makes or break makes or breaks a boss battle. Yeah, well, I think uh, you know we previously mentioned. I don't remember what episode it was, but you sort of said that you focus more on the narrative and I sort of lean a little bit more towards the gameplay sometimes, but I'm sort of stuck in the middle. I think the best boss battles are the ones that are driven by the story because without the um, without the sort of prelude of the writing and the and the law leading up to it, it'll it will be meaningless. The context. Yeah, like it has to have context. So boss battles as much as the gameplay bits like, oh did you do that? Did use that uh, mega weapon or something they gave you or whatever. Nothing will make sense unless the boss has context. So the writing is extremely important, uh, more so leading up to it than in the actual fight. So there's a whole mm. whole range of things that can help a boss battle go right or go wrong. Yeah, and I and I know you've got a couple of questions to pose. So if this uh, eats into answering one of those, please just uh, <laughs> tell me to shut up. But I personally love a boss battle. Uh, similar to what you said, that brings out the best of your character. Uh, but uh, it's sort of, I guess it makes you feel that this character as well as yourself is actually mastering their craft uh, as part of yeah, as part of this key plot point. Mm. So some of the examples we'll talk about later are, are, great, um, are great battles where the character themselves are basically almost coming up against a, you know, like they're a, an, an enemy who's, almost a reflection of them who has similar skills or is at the yeah. similar point of their own journey um, mm-hmm. or the peak in their field so that when you actually come up against them, um, you've actually, and, and by defeating them, you've basically put yourself at the very top of the tree in that skill area, Yep. Um, both as the character and yourself. And I think they're like the best payoffs you can get yeah. uh, from a, a boss battle. Well, I might be going early on this and you might have it written down, but considering we talked about it last week, I don't think we were going to sit on it, but that what you just said there is a the the, the fight against Mr. Freeze in Batman Arkham City is the prime example of mm-hmm. mastering a character's abilities and then coming up against a counterpart that's so evenly matched that defeating him is like the most rewarding thing ever. Mm. Like he's the master of, he seems like he's the master of all that gadget tech and things like that. And Batman mm. has to outsmart him over and over in this battle with this with the similar sort of tech mind uh, to defeat mm. him. So it's it's like the perfect uh, it's the perfect one on one that one. Yeah. yeah. It, well, and interestingly as well, it's it's sort of about it's actually about you avoiding using your own tech because it gets to the point in that fight as we discussed in in episode twenty, the mega episode. So mm. check it out if you haven't. Um, it's all about uh, you know Batman. I think about halfway through. Uh, you know, if you've used your gadget takedowns, Mr. Freeze adapts to them. So there's a point where you've got you're literally completely manual. You can't even use a detective mode to see where he is. Mm. You can't throw your batarangs or you, you can't use <laughs> his, your line launches, anything like that. You're free. You all the explosive gels, all that sort of stuff. Yep. And uh, so yeah, it initially starts off as a as an almost perfect matchup, and by the end of it, it's so far in Mr. Freeze's favor that the uh, Defeating him is just the best payoff. Oh, yeah. It is one of the best payoffs ever, actually. Um, mm. I think one more thing, one other thing that boss battles normally mean to me is that 
it's sort of time when a boss battle starts it almost feels like it's time for some sort of enhanced game mechanics or something like that mm. it's like uh that aren't found anywhere else in the game like a, like powerful weapons or or a special circumstance like a different field of play that's got some sort of effect on the area or something like that um i think it's usually uh it's usually safe to say something like that happens not always but uh particularly towards the end of action games uh they tend to it's like it's a payoff for your hard work too because you get to a boss battle and they give you this mega sword or or something like that which is always mm, fun yeah um, love a good sword which uh, to bring it back to batman as well is uh in the final fight in arkham city you get to use a sword as batman yeah, which is yeah. not something you would expect uh and it's it's so amazing like and it feels like a great payoff mm. to everything you've done in that massive game so yeah that's that's what boss battles mean to us but what does a good boss battle actually look like? What do you know? What do we think of in a good boss battle? A good example. A good example. So, well, just to and just to sort of go uh, add to what you just said as well. Yeah, I think a good boss battle has to be a high risk, high reward sort of ending to a yeah. chapter or an act. So high stakes. Um, yeah. So I think and the best ones. The the best ones look like an absolute dogfight, where <laughs> you're as intimidated as hell, um, especially to start with, and have no idea what you're doing. And let's say let's say every boss boss fight on average takes uh, ten to fifteen goes, with some of them um, a couple we'll discuss probably stretching to about fifty goes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is exhausting. But I think the the best ones are the ones that make you really. There's almost like a, a, a phase at the start where you don't care about them. You're just having a crack. And honestly, every time for me, the first go is always the closest I get for about 20 goes. Yeah, yeah. Because I just go in without thinking about it. Oh. And then and then there becomes the part where you just start going in like a dog's breakfast, throwing like punches everywhere, just losing all composure. And then towards the end of it again, you actually start to you go, all right, how about I actually have a calculated approach, be patient with it. And then, uh, you know, take a few risks here and there, and eventually, it, and eventually, it always pays off. Mm. Um, so I think, I think the best ones are that that sort of um, that make you play it like that, where it's it's literally a journey just in that one battle, because you try so many times. And even the ones who have, you know, they'll have three phases of the battle. They're the best ones for sure. Or, yeah, you know, say multiple phases where you're not just doing the same thing over and over mm-hmm. and right when you think you're getting on top of them, there's a cutscene, and all of a sudden they throw you to a new battleground and you have to <laughs> adapt to all these environmental challenges there. Yeah. Uh, um, and that being said, uh, <laughs> I reckon the, the, the most important thing to making a good boss battle is not having a cutscene. check is, is, um, <laughs> is having a cutscene after the uh, a checkpoint, having a checkpoint after the cutscene. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> leading into the battle. Because, <laughs> That's a good point. Because there's some games, uh, like one I'll discuss later, where the cutscene goes for about two minutes, and you can't skip it. Yeah, that's de- that's and, just death. And I never <laughs> defeated this boss because oh no, I did. I did oh. after about fifty goes. Okay, I did after about fifty goes. Do I know this and, boss? Uh, n- no, you know the game, but okay, we haven't played it. So mm. I um, yeah. Look, I, I just think. <laughs> I don't want I don't want it to be littered with checkpoints throughout the boss battle. Too many. I like you know one or two maybe 
if it's literally like a half hour battle, maybe 15 minutes, but you know, make it a challenge and treat us like adults. Yeah. That that's the main yeah. takeaway probably. I think to me, a good boss battle. So there's a few things. It's it's sort of not limited to, but mostly in like a large arena setting. Um, and I think I like it when it's in an area that's quite notable to the game at hand. Uh, you know, I think one example I thought of that I'm not going to speak on later is in The Last of Us Part Two, where you return to the cinema hideout as Abby and you sort of have a boss battle against Ellie. And it makes mm-hmm. sense because it fits this it fits the story narrative and it also takes place in a area in a setting in the game that you've been at a lot so like it transforms an area you've already been into a battlefield which i think is always really cool um mm-hmm. but the main thing the main thing that a good boss battle is to me is for me is that all the character motivations make sense mm. i think sometimes you go into a boss battle and it just doesn't make sense why you're doing this like why am i fighting this person or why is this person trying to not why won't this person let me go let me past or why won't this why is this person trying to kill me um you know i think character motivations are really important then there's one boss battle that we'll speak on later that's an average an extremely average one where yes the motivation for what the character's goal is is correct but the way they go about it doesn't fit the character at all and i think it just mm-hmm. throws off the whole boss battle so I think, yeah, the motivations need to be set in stone early and this is before you even get to the fight. Mm -hmm. And then when you get there, you know, I'm here to face you or or that thing and that thing is repelling me from something or for whatever reason and I don't know exactly why I'm here. Yeah, I think that's the main Mm -hmm. thing I I always think of with boss battles. Yeah, and and I think a honestly, like say if a boss battle made... Eight out of a rating of eight out of ten in terms of narrative appropriateness, mm. but was only a four out of ten in gameplay. It still is an okay boss battle. Like you can still you can still see what they were trying to get at. Yeah, yeah. You know, it still might move the story along, but say if it was a five out of ten narrative and a six or seven gameplay, it still feels a lot weaker as yeah. a result. Yeah, like it almost has to be a ten. It has to be closer to a ten out of ten gameplay if the story's weak. Um, to actually make it worthwhile, and there mm-hmm. are a few out there like that. Um, and and honestly, not every, not all games. Like I know you're playing Doom, Doom Eternal at the moment. Mm. Uh, those boss fights certainly don't have to make a lot of sense uh, story wise to be great, because mm. that's a different type of game. But uh, yeah, there, there's a bit of a there's a bit of a balancing act there that needs to be reached. Yeah, I think what you just brought up with Doom Eternal, the thing is with that is like. You know your overall goal in that game where you need to kill these three sort of hierarchy uh, uh, hellspawn creatures by the end. And if you fight any very large monsters in between, it's it's because you need to get through them to get to your eventual goal. And yep. I think if the if you know why you're fighting them to get past, like if you know why the re- – you know, if you have a reason to get past them, yeah, I think it's fine. Uh, which is why games like Dark Souls uh, and things like that are so beloved by people because, like, those games are just boss battle. Like, the games are just boss battles. Like, there's yeah. obviously yeah. lots of um, in-between where you hone your skills, but the boss, mat- the boss battles are what people remember by 
and they're the brunt of the game. But I've you know I've played a few of those games now, and a lot of the boss battles, unless you really read deep into the lore, maybe don't even really make any sense. They're mm. just really large, very difficult monsters to fight. But because you have a overall goal, they are roadblocks that somewhat I don't know. They just make sense in some way. It's it's a it's a really fine line. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think in a gameplay-driven game, the more boss fights, the merrier to an extent, because mm. you you need that entertainment and changing of the environment and the way it you know, the throw the the challenges it throws at you. It needs to be ever changing because you know I played the first Doom uh, remake on from Xbox One, which was what 2018, 2016, seven, I think. Twenty sixteen. Yeah. And I played about an hour of it, and it was it was a cool game. It was a cool game, but I just. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm not into just gameplay, even though there's a slight, very, very slight story going along. Mm. Um, but I think in games like that, I would want more and more boss battles to keep me interested. But in a yeah, in a narrative-driven game, um, the more sparingly they're, they're used, probably the more rewarding they are. Yep. Yeah. The less the less necessary they are anyway. Um, so they so they've, the the less yeah. So they've just got to make them more worthwhile in a story because there's less of them. Whereas in a gameplay-driven game, you know, there's so many that hit hit and miss is okay. Yeah, no, I totally agree. What uh, we just spoke about a good boss battle, but what what does a bad boss battle look like to you? If you can think, to me, you know, what, <laughs> from from your memories of any of them. Yeah, well, okay, to me. One example of a bad type of boss battle is a quick time boss battle. Mm, yeah. Where it's giving you cues, you know, tap square now, tap X now, tap tap circle, as most people will know, um, just to sort of navigate you through a what is a, a cinematic boss fight. It's not meant to be yeah. something that's challenging. It's cheap. It, it's cheap. But in games like God of War, where it's, say, you're fighting uh, Boulder, who's the main villain, mm-hmm. you fight him three or four times throughout the game and one of them is a quick time event which is fine because it's a visual spectacle and we've already fought him a couple of times so it's okay it's not you know dismissing that character willy-nilly i suppose mm. um other ones other bad ones are uh, you know like uh say for i'm i'm I just thought of one then that i haven't actually listed down as a bad <laughs> boss battle but say in gears of war 2 for example We've got this massive lambent brumac, which is going to blow up the entire city and all this sort of stuff. It's really creepy, and you you literally defeat it with a ranged weapon uh, within five seconds. <laughs> okay, yeah, um, I don't remember. It's almost it's almost half cutscene. Mm. Um, well, there's a reason you don't remember. It mustn't have left much of an impact on me. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, yeah, I just I, I guess it's just anything that's the the treatment that they're given by the the writers, uh, if it's disproportionate to their actual significance to the story leading up to that point, mm. really drives me nuts. Yeah, um, like yeah, if there's a boss battle, like especially a final boss battle, if if you're taking them on and it's literally, oh, you know, a ten minute fight, when really this this enemy should be a multi staged half hour effort or something like that. It just really grinds me. It's just it just all depends on the yeah the their significance to the in, to the game up to that point. Yeah. I just hate a disres- I hate a disrespected villain. 
yeah as much as a you know a dodgy hero <laughs> yeah i think there's three things that make a bad boss battle for me that i wrote down on my notes and they are these things they are uninteresting gameplay whether that be uh just lame mechanics or an easy boss or, or boring uh, the boss having just boring moves as well i think sometimes mm-hmm. when the boss is just doing boring things it's just so unengaging yeah. uh, moves that aren't moves that aren't like themed to their character almost yeah they're just generic punches or something yeah 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 some slimy character that would never just throw a punch just all of a sudden is just a, a boxer you know yeah and that, that yeah. happens and it's like this, this doesn't make sense you know mm-hmm. bad locations i think uh Sometimes there's boss battles with really small, frustrating areas to defend against something so much larger. And, you know, that doesn't always... A boss battle being in a small, a confined space doesn't automatically mean it's not good. But the majority of the boss battles I remember being in really small areas are just real pains in the ass because yeah. you just get cornered <laughs> straight away. And then, you know, people will say, well, just be better. It's like, well, no, they actually should have program the game to make it more easy for you to get your moves across because like getting pinned in a corner by something that's 20 30 feet bigger than you isn't exactly fun is it no no and then uh poor motivation it makes bad boss battles characters Mm -hmm. doing things that are very unlike themselves uh Mm -hmm. it always makes for a poor a poor boss battle uh in my opinion you just need they need to it needs to be a true reflection of of the character that you've learnt, you've come to know across the span of the game so far. And if they just start mm. doing things that are just so unlike themselves, then not only does the boss battle feel stupid, but all of the work and narrative writing up to that point goes straight down the toilet. So it's like mm. you need it needs to be it needs to all be interlinked to work. Especially, it's like it's same with TV shows. Like if there's a a villain or movie and you, you there's a big build-up over a few episodes or hours mm. and you're going oh i can see where this is going to go and like not in a you know you feel like you've solved what's going to happen but you, you're going oh look look at the size of uh whiplash in iron man 2 like he's got these big whips he's gonna we're gonna find out fight these whips uh so oh, iron man's gonna have to fight come up against these whips mm. at some point and he ends up just being in a big mech suit yep with a, a couple of whips in and he's beaten in like two minutes <laughs> and you just go, oh, come on. Like, if they tease us with these, all these abilities and uh, tactic, you know, tactical genius and all this sort of stuff that these enemies have throughout this entire storyline, and then we get there and they're literally just a brawler, or they, or they jump in a, a go kart and throw shells at us, turns out, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what the hell? And I'm not talking about Mario Kart there. I'm just saying some ridiculous games would actually probably put. You know, yeah, they a big would villain in a, in, Mario, in a in a Mario Kart style situation. Yeah, so. they probably would. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, agreed. And that by uh, by shock that Iron Man two example is a good example as well. Uh, mm. And I think, to be honest, part of the reason that movie falls a bit flat is because of the villain. So uh, yeah. it makes sense. I've- it's nice to hear that Bioshock's on your mind just quietly. I'm not sure why I said Bioshock at all. <laughs> it's always on my mind. Uh, yeah, yeah. Last question I've got: Why, why are boss battles so important to the to the games we play? Like, you know, why do we think of them so highly? Why do Why do people remember them? Well, yeah, I guess it's f- for the similar for the same reasons we've 
been over it um, now is they just the be- the most memorable memorable ones are the ones that are a perfect culmination of everything you've learnt in the game, uh, gameplay wise, and everything that's happened to your character, yeah, story wise. Uh, if it it's all got to come to a head, whether it's the character, you know, this this villain's the last step um, that they've the last challenge they have to overcome to end this global threat, or uh, or the or in some cheapest ways when the villain literally hasn't been in the game the whole time but comes up to be the last big fight. Mm. I guess it's just, uh, yeah, it normally just represents what the um, what the hero uh, has to overcome to um, win the day. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I agree. I think it's, yeah, they always serve as a good payoff between characters, uh, which often payoffs between characters aren't always fully realized without uh without some sort of fight in games like because games are so built around uh combat like not many games are built around just real life scenarios where you just talk and i don't think many uh there's many payoffs between characters in games that just end with simple dialogue i think Mm. they're important because it's a way to not just not just have an action set piece and something fun to do but it's also a way to visually explain the frustration between two characters mm. so it's always yep. interesting to see to see that um they also breathe they're important because they breathe a bit of fresh air into games because i think sometimes you're playing a game for so long and especially like a an action game even like a a sort of hack and slash type game if you think if you think something like God of War I know God of War is very narratively driven and interesting but it's always nice in that game to come to come across something really big and challenging Mm. uh, because you do do a lot of just like beating up on whatever around uh, Midgard and stuff so I think it's it's sometimes repetitive gameplay can can get a bit stale and the boss battle can really liven things up and I'm not in any way saying God of War gets repetitive and stale it's just a First thing come to my mind, uh, yeah. It gives their it gives characters their moment to shine, which is really important as well. Whether whether that be the hero or the villain, mm-hmm. I think uh, sometimes not only just with the gameplay but also with like the sort of cutscene set pieces. I remember Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart. There's uh, a moment where, um, what's the uh, what's the other Clank's name? The the girl Clank, Kit. Kit. Uh, there's a moment where she. She comes back to save the day at the end of a fight, uh, I'm pretty sure, which gives her a, mo- a really good moment to shine, things like that. Um, redemption. Redemption moments, redemption yeah. Arc, yeah. And mm. not only do boss battles, uh, not only can they end the story arc, they can also start a new one. So, I think yes. they, it's, uh, they're really important for not only yeah, finishing off a story arc, but you can also pivot from them in any, any one direction. Um, mm-hmm. So they can be a catalyst for so many things, whether it be the beginning or the end. So, uh, mm. yeah, boss battles are severely important to to gaming. Yeah, and also, um, as you discussed, they're an opportunity to change up gameplay as well. Uh, and this is more so <clears throat> at the end of a game. I guess it's like I said, it's uh, the end game is normally a combination of everything you've had in the game so far. But uh, boss battles, especially that happen throughout um, throughout a game. A lot of them feature very unique and isolated gameplay moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 
uh, oh, I've just I can't really think of an example off the top of my head, but say if it was Ratchet and Clank, for example, there's somewhere it's a, a boss fight that it's all on while you're grinding on the rails um, and all that sort of like it's a high it's like a high speed chase sort of thing. Yeah, and you won't get that sort of thrill at any other point in the game on a on a on a rail. Yeah, well, the peak. I think the peak game for something like that is a Zelda game. Uh, probably pre all the Zelda games pre Breath of the Wild, where the bosses came at the end of the dungeon, and the boss serves as a way for you as a payoff for you to use the newly acquired item you got from that dungeon in a battle. Mm. Like they, mm. it cycles every single time. Like you get the you get the boomerang, and then the boss would have. Uh, you know, say it would have like tentacles you got to hit with the boomerang in a combo or something like that, but you wouldn't be doing that in the final boss fight or you wouldn't be doing it often. Um, yeah, what you said is correct. I think they, they're stepping so- stones for for something greater later on and they mm. just give you a chance to experience a whole a whole bunch of mechanics that they wanted to tool into the game. It's, yeah. Mm. And even, even if we don't see that mechanic really in, in force until that final battle again, um, that's you know sometimes what they sort of how it works, and I was even thinking in Spider-Man for the PS4, um, that like that has a really fun fight. Uh, I remember where with uh, Electro and I think Vulture at, at the same time. Yeah, uh, yeah, it does. And you're going between these big uh, um, oh, fuel fuel silos. I can't, I can't exactly remember what they are. Yeah. Um, and it's it's nothing really new or groundbreaking, so it certainly didn't make my you know, like a list of best boss battles by any means, but just the fact that they, it's all about staying airborne and, you uh, you know, using a lot of web tricks to sort of navigate uh, no, and nothing, yeah, these are things you learned way earlier in the game and you don't have to rely on to win, but it's just that actual, uh, the thrill of, oh, sick, I get a reason just to stay in the air for, you know, 15 minutes and be a, just be awesome Spider-Man for mm. this long. You know, sometimes, sometimes uh, games offer boss fights almost just as a pure outlet and satisfaction and a thrill. Doesn't yep. have to be, don't have to be challenging. They could just be a ten-minute thrill ride almost that are, that's really easy to master and it's just pure fun. Yeah, no, I agree mm. absolutely. That's a good fight too in um in Spider Man. Mm. That one. Yeah, it's always fun to face multiple enemies at once un- unexpectedly. I think mm. a lot of games tend well, to do that stuff. Yeah, well, even at the start of that game, if you think of when you fight Kingpin and Kingpin, and you're just falling down through the down through the building, uh, through the massive atrium. Yep. Uh, even that, it's a boss fight, but it's nothing new or and at that because it's so early in the game, it's not like you're learning anything, showcasing anything new besides basic, you know, fighting skills. Mm-hmm. But it's the actual fall and a bit of a quick time event that's the funnest part of that. So quick time isn't always bad, and it doesn't always have to be. Uh, you know, you don't have to always be a genius to work out how to beat the bosses. It just can just be for pure fun and thrill. Yep. Yeah. No. Totally agreed. What's the first fight in Spider-Man Miles Morales? It's, uh, would you? Uh, they they come up against Rhino at the start. Would you consider that a f- boss fight? Yeah. Well, that's like a almost like a passive fight, isn't it? Because mm. you because Peter Parker's fighting Rhino in the background while you're ta- tackling all these goons. Yeah. But then you have to mm. then you have to basically rodeo on top of rhino yeah with spider-man in the that, that's really fun yeah and yeah. that's an example of another one where it's literally just a spectacle just so you can look at spider-man while you're trying to be spider-man <laughs> and just watch him doing his thing and you're like oh that's so cool yeah um 
That's it. Yeah, just that's just pure fun factor. Yeah, which is all, all so important. They can't just they can't just uh, make it mentally taxing every boss battle. So they gotta. That's why some people would probably class some bosses uh, battles as weak when really the game developer is just giving you a brief entertainment break almost. Ah, uh, yeah, for sure. What uh, we're about to hit a little break, an ad break, but. Before we go to the ad break, why don't we quickly discuss one of the worst boss battles ever. We've have, we have spoken about it before, all the way back in episode two, but I think just bringing it up again quickly is an example of something truly terrible is a good idea, and that is fighting the Joker uh, at the end of Batman <laughs> Arkham Asylum, mm-hmm. which goes against all the things I, I think we just said where... The motivation of the character or, or the the actions of the character you know took take a huge turn for the worst. Mm. Well, yeah, yeah, I agree. Let's get let's get our negatives out of the way so that we can come <laughs> back. We can come back from the ad fully refreshed and focused and excited to talk about the great battles yeah. that are coming. Uh, and the the Joker, I've um, do you want to know my dot, one dot point is mm. on the Joker will well, not worth men- not worth mentioning again. <laughs> I <laughs> I didn't even write any dot points. <laughs> I just wrote it and said and it just says bad. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't need dot points. I can just rant. <laughs> no, yeah, that's a that, look. Honestly, yeah. the the fight itself like is not it's not that uh, so crazy different to anything you do in the game as batman like you're just fighting as batman but it's the it's the fact that joker turns himself into this giant titan version of himself like he he almost uh, he like what's the right way to put it he's this maniacal smart villain who works in the shadows who's always playing tricks and then as soon as he gets to gets to the end fight he he turns desperate and he mm. and he turns himself into this huge monster to defeat Batman, and it just makes no. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I don't. I just don't mm. get why they would ride it like that. Yeah, well, like yeah, and as I, I can't believe that was episode two. It actually feels like last week for some reason. To thinking about it's probably because we talked about uh, we talked about Batman <laughs> last week, but a different one. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, last week's a bad literal example. Yeah, uh, the um, <laughs> the um. I think, yeah, it's just because they, they have this pure uh, cerebral genius of a character who is so unpredictable. Um, well, I guess this was unpredictable, so we can't mm. fault him there. But uh, his, his, everything about him is just how mentally uh, psychotic and, out, and witty he is. Mm-hmm. Like everything he does to you is an attack on your um, psych, psyche as much as anything. Yeah. That's his entire game. So then, to get to the end of this game, where he's got this massive plot, it's all—it's been—he's been out thinking you the whole way through, and you th- you think you've got him, and it turns out you don't. For it to literally become a physical battle, uh, yep, where he's a, a just a big brute is the is the cheapest. The, uh, it's just—it's it's almost disrespectful to. It, to, it is disrespectful to the Joker. It, it is. I, it devalues it's tra- it's everything that they had written him and put him through for the whole game because mm. it just lowers him to another Titan, basically. Mm. It's yeah. terrible. Anyway, we don't have to sit on it. What other 
Do you have any other bad ones? I only have one other, but it's a good slash bad, so I'll leave that to last maybe. Yeah, well, I do have some bad ones and you've um, you've encountered them all. Just quick honourable mentions to uh, Richmond in AFL Evolution 2 because that's a, a t- truly terrifying opponent right there. <laughs> um, and that... Uh, <laughs> Uh, wow. Willian in FIFA 15 to wow. 18. Willie. <laughs> Haunts your dreams. Willian? Yeah, he does. He haunted my and- dreams in FIFA for three years and then he came to Arsenal in real life and haunted my dreams uh, up until yesterday <laughs> when he yeah. decided to leave the club, thank God. Did he really? Yep. Where's he gone? Just quickly. Uh, Corinthians. Okay. Something like that. Yeah, anyway. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also your Mario Maker level. That's just a boss. That's just the boss in itself. <laughs> My Mario Maker level. Tom's Challenge Two, I believe. I believe it is Super yeah, Mario Maker yeah. One. It's yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> on a on a on a more serious note, uh, and we've covered uh, we've covered this one, but there's <laughs> Nemesis from the Resident Evil Three make uh, remake. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, which we discussed way back in episode one. Uh, if you haven't listened to it. Go back and tune in because you learned so much about Will and I and our journey. God, episode and one. That just feels like last week. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably because last week was episode uh, 20. <laughs> uh, and he, so the the, resident, the nemesis um, boss battles throughout, uh, mm. they're an example of a boss battle that just isn't challenging enough. Like I guess they're, they're challenging, but they're drawn out. We... You must do the same thing repeatedly without too much threat of dying. Besides, when you try to rush it, so mm-hmm. the only the only difficulty is you're actually rushing it because you get impatient with it. So whether he be circling you like a dog or using a flamethrower, it's never hard to work out what to do. So I think that battles that are long but not uh, difficult are amongst the most frustrating because mm. yeah. they're just they're literally because uh, I bet you the devs would say, "Oh, look, that's challenging enough. That goes for twenty minutes." And it's like. That's not challenging. It's it's challenging for my emotions. It's challenging to and my um, patience to uh, keep focused. It's challenging on your mm. focus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think that's just a bit cheap, and we, we've already said a lot about him. Uh, but that's only in, <laughs> that's only really in comparison to another villain, which I'm going to talk about. I mean, the good ones. Um, well, yeah, my other my other bad slash good one is a Resident Evil uh, one as well. So hopefully you don't say it. Yeah, okay. I feel like we could do <laughs> a whole episode on Resident Evil boss battles, to be honest. <laughs> oh, we could actually. No, I know what, you're, what you've got there now, yeah. Um, I've also just, just to just to go through a couple of quick ones, uh, we've got um, Dr. Neo Cortex from Crash Bandicoot 2, um, Cortex Strikes Back and 3, Warped, uh, because just in short, they were a letdown because uh, they were just the easiest fights in the game, just about. They weren't challenging... They were short and they just weren't based on his character. Like they should be goofy, cunning, or cruel in some way, but they were just, they just weren't. I just, can, just didn't enjoy them. Can you remind me and everyone what exactly you did in them? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. So in Crash Bandicoot 2, it was uh, using a jetpack, which is fun, just to chase him through almost like an uh, asteroid yes. belt. Yep. Uh, and you literally, it takes, and you just have to avoid some TNT while you're flying, and it, it takes you 10 seconds to catch him and spin attack him. Yeah. And you, you can beat it in under a minute. It just, just bad. It's just not worth it. And yep. in the third one, in the third one, you have to avoid 
Aku, Aka, Aku, Aku, and Uka, Uka, the two masks, while they're battling in the middle. And you basically just have to spin. Uh, we, and this is a bit better than the second one. Uh, you just have to spin back his um, laser attacks to hit him, I think, and then he falls down into the map, into the floor, and then you just have to spin him into this hole in the middle, and he just falls down the hole, <laughs> and you set to death. You set to death three times. Yeah, okay. Uh, so very easy games, but you know, it just annoys me. Yep. Uh, my third one, third of four, because I do have, uh, I do have a big one that I don't God, actually. So don't negative. Wanna... <laughs> well, well <laughs> one, these two, will you definitely understand? Yeah, I'm sure. Um, I will. This one is Captain Briggsy of Sea and Thieves fame. <laughs> so we spoke in about Briggsy, this. Mate. I think it's surely that was just bugged out. This should, couldn't be that bad to everyone. <laughs> surely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. It was a. Uh, we've discussed this back in our Sea of Thieves episode. I can't remember, recall which about seven or eight. I think. Uh yeah, seven. Uh, uh eight. Yeah. I just I just, I just uh, relisted the numbers you just said, so that was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks. I helped it. Uh, I, I achieved nothing. Anyway, yeah. So Briggsy take uh, comes up at the end of a, I think the second or third tall tale uh, out of you know the eight quests that you get there, and it was such a difficulty spike, mm-hmm. like hardest part in the game at the most random time. Uh, and it was <clears throat> it was a matter of knowing what to do, but the fact that it took us about an hour to just wear her down while she repeatedly soaked up all of our cannonballs which we ran out of and healed as soon as we bailed for a breather. Oh, man. Combined with their shockwave attacks, which just threw you back and took all, most of your health, about threw you back about 50 meters, it was just rage-inducing. That was one of the most we, mentally taxing things in gaming we've ever done. <laughs> yeah, and we don't know if it was deliberate either. It, it couldn't have been um, deliberate. There's no way. Like, yeah. that was just nuts. And that was the <clears> first <throat> tall tale of the nine. Like, the first mission... No, it was the very the first. It was the very first yeah. one because I remember we did it and we almost didn't want to come back for the rest. Mm. But thank God we did. Yeah, exactly. But which makes it even worse. Like <laughs> who, who puts the hardest thing in the game at the start? If that was their intention, who knows? The Pirate Lord was um, quite difficult as well in, in the final one. But yeah. Uh, but that was uh, uh, gold, tar- uh, gold. The Gold Hoarder, sorry. Gold Hoarder. Mm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and my last, my last neggy, negative. Is actually, and this is, seeing as you mentioned it just before, actually, this is the first time we're actually going to analyze anything from this. And this is Frank Fontaine, mm. the final boss in Bioshock. Yeah. And I won't go too far into it because we'll save that for when we get stuck into that game, which we can't wait to do. Oh, yeah. If you can't tell. Um, but Frank Fontaine is the beholder of the greatest plot twist in video game history. And also, the cheapest boss fight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's not the worst boss fight. Uh, it's just similar to the Joker. It, it basically turns a, a cerebral cunning villain into a big, dumb, tall ball of muscle. Yep. Um, which totally betrays his character and the, the craft he's shown in the, and the script has shown um, up until this point. Um, it's quite literally the only weak point of the whole game. Yeah, it is, and it's yeah, the exactly. very final thing. Mm. What a bummer! Yeah, and it still it still tests your gameplay out. It still requires you to use your the powers you've learnt and you know 
combine whatever weapons you have if you provided you actually had ammo when you got up there because if you didn't, <laughs> you literally have to fight through the area with nothing. Yeah. Um, just being the old old games, how old games were, you you live and die by your last save. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like he, like it's just annoyed me that he didn't get the five star treatment that he deserved. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's it doesn't ruin the beautiful or daunting end, which is determined by your by your uh, decisions throughout the game. Um, but it just certainly stains his legacy of the legacy of probably one of my favorite character arcs in um you know in gaming yep which is um why it is a, just a a naughty battle bad it is it is uh i'm excited to to talk about this one with you uh cuz it's a it's a great example of a boss battle and a terrible example of a boss battle all in one character and we're going to hear it after the break no but, sir, the customer took the tin from the bottom of the display, not me. Hmm, customer, is this true? Did you indeed remove the can of biscotti from the bottom of this wondrous display? Uh, no. But, sir... Bad luck, little Billy. The customer is always right. When I come back, this better all be tidied up. Oh, this is so unfair. Ha <laughs> ha! Underpaid, undervalued retail staff, right? Ha <laughs> ha! Well, I'm here to tell you how in just 37 easy steps you can challenge your boss to a battle! 37? Uh, 25? No! Alright, alright. Five easy steps! Oh, that's better. First, what you're going to need to do is make sure you've got a large, clear space. Need to knock over a few displays? Go for it! Oh, I can do that. Second, make sure you've hacked the PA system and initiated a countdown to protocol punishment to strike tension and fear into your cruel, KPI-driven overlord. Oh, easy done. Thirdly, choose your weapon! Grab a belt of bananas, a pack of throwing darts... Hey, those are my... Darts. Oh, sorry, Dart Master. Didn't see you there. Well, grab whatever you can. Just not my latest book, How to Fight Back Against an Uppity Employee. That won't help you at all. Right. Fourthly, lure your ruthless ruler into the arena. Find your closest workmates and stand around talking for minutes on end. Maybe even throw in a few swears. He'll come charging in in no time. Righto, you big goof. Oi! Why all this talking and swearing? Oh, here he comes. Now for the fifth and final step. Hit that battle music! Time for payback, bitch! Billy, put down all those bananas. Oh, I see how it is. Sadly for you, I've been preparing for this moment with my new book. Prepare for death by KPI, bitch! Aha! Two happy customers. Who would have thought? This man's books will kill the retail industry and have since been pulled from all shelves. Respect your workers. Respect your boss. Put down the banana. So, I have a boss uh, that's just a recurring character in one of our favorite games. Uh, I think both of our favorite, one of our favorite games, who is a good example of a boss fight that is great, and then a boss fight that is absolutely crap. 
And that oh. is from the game Resident Evil 7 uh, that we love. And his name, he's one of the main characters, Jack Baker. And uh, so Jack Baker is this terrorizing uh, brute, can't kill him, son of a bitch throughout the game. Uh, uh, and he, he, you basically have this boss fight against him in the basement of the house where he comes at you with a chainsaw in this really small room and oh. you have to dodge around and, and defeat him and it's just the tension is extremely high down there. You got to like push a boxing bag at him uh, and all this other stuff and you actually also fight him before that in the in the garage and he gets in a car and starts doing donuts in the, in the oh. garage to try and hit you. Uh, and then <laughs> when push comes to shove, he comes back later on in the game and turns into this gigantic monster where you got to <laughs> shoot his eyeball. And he's this gigantic gooey monster in this shed out the back of the swamp. Yep. And uh, the payoff for this character, who you fought multiple times in extremely tense situations, is he's just a big gooey monster and you blast his eye and he's gone for good. Well, look, I, I, I don't tell many people this, but my entire life force is stored in my left eye. <laughs> I did not know that. There's some insider knowledge for you. So, look, I think you're being too hard on Jack. Am I? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think a, about that? It's honestly, it's a classic Resident Evil trope where they turn our favorite villains into the most ridiculous big goo monsters that make no sense and actually yeah. ruin the flow of the game. I thought you were going to talk about um, the Resident Evil 8 version of this, which is uh, Lady Dimitrescu when she becomes- Well, it's, it's pretty much the same situation except Jack Baker is a uh, part of the game for basically the majority of, whereas she's sort of the in the first third, but it's the same, the same idea. Mm. Yeah, it's- it just, I don't know. That's the one thing that definitely doesn't sit right with me from the Resident Evil series is how they how they treat this tension and how it's like, it's like they've, I don't know. It's it's like they get bored with their own horror writing, their own absolute, like yeah. the, the tension. You could cut the tension in Resident Evil 7 with, like with a knife. It is just that, like mm. it is so intense. And then for them to just go, oh, look, we'll just hold on a bit longer. Oh, just turn him into a monster. Just do it. Hurry up. And it's like. Uh, no, that just sucks. Yeah, it's it's it does. It sucks. It really does. Like they, you're right. It's like they get sick of their own great writing. Yeah. And mm. uh, yeah, we I won't spoil it now because we'll talk about Resident Evil Seven at a later date. But the the very final boss battle in Resident Evil Seven uh, begins with an extremely tense moment, and then this explodes into this gigantic monster that loses all of its edge instantly. <laughs> so, I think yeah, that game really suffers from from that. But Jack Baker in particular, when I was thinking of bosses, was someone that, yeah, I, I remember because we played Resident Evil 7 together and I remember the you feeling we both had it, when, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when Jack when Jack Baker uh, burst onto the scene in that moment as a big monster and uh, we were both just like, oh, Mm. Again, I've done it again. I've stuffed it again. <laughs> yeah, I I think uh, yeah, yeah. Look, actually, I'll hold that conversation for when we're talking about the goods because there's 
some good in this series that they don't mess with, thankfully. But of course, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Hold our tongues for for that episode. But that's the only bad bad one I had. That is, yeah, the fights you have against Baker in the garage in the basement are really good ones. High intensity. They fit the theme of the game and they fit mm. the theme of the character. And then, uh, yeah, you have the bad example of him later on just turning into a giant beast, um, which is just stupid. So, mm-hmm. that's a bad one. But why don't we spend the rest of the episode just dwelling on some of our favorites, mm. being really positive and happy. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think I'm pretty sure that we can tell that that common theme there across all those bad um, bosses are the ones that, yeah, where the character, the, the battle doesn't fit the character whatsoever. Mm. So, effectively, yeah, the, the fights that we'll talk about from now uh uh, more or less, I'm sure you'll see that the theme there is that they actually make perfect sense to what's going on. Uh, yeah. So I'd like to just, if you, if you, I could do the honors, will and just start with three quick ones that we have actually discussed previously. Um, yeah, so yeah. I'll just, Go for I just it. You, have, just, you wrote a few more down than me, so you start. Mm. So I just wanted to touch on quickly. We were actually we already have touched on one, which is Mister Freeze. Uh, such a great spot, great boss battle for the reasons we've already spoken about. Uh, so find out why in episode twenty. Go back and listen because it's uh, just <laughs> fun. It's great. Um, yeah, it I've is. also got I've also got in here Ali from The Last of Us Two from our other mega episode. So what are the yep. chances our our two mega episodes so far have been about games with great uh, great face offs or boss battles? I'd say it's more of a face off sort of thing in Last of Us. I wouldn't call them a boss as yeah. such, but but uh, yeah, the alley. When you finally confront Ali as Abby, uh, it's so morally conflicting and bordering on soul destroying that you're. <laughs> the, the best part about it is that you're fighting against someone who's got a set of skills that you've learnt. Uh, they've learnt by you playing as them. So to come yeah. back against them, you know full well what she's got, and to actually see her action those tactics like planting mines and. Listening to the you stepping on uh, glass bottles and all that sort of thing—it's just so—it's so thrilling in slightly the the best way and a truly hurtful way as well. Yeah, it's it's actually the perfect storm in that mm. moment of all of all of the things we spoke about—narrative, uh, gameplay, like the setting, the the intensity, the motivations. Like it's it's the perfect storm of all of that stuff to make a great face-off moment between two characters that you uh, in that in that game that you almost like and don't like both of them by that point. So, it's, mm. yeah, that's a really good one, a really mm. good one. I, yeah. I, I was gobsmacked actually when that happened, when I realized I had to face-off Ellie. I thought that was going to be the final moment of the game, which we've spoken about in the Mega episode, episode 10. So, go back and listen if you're more interested. But, yeah, it was uh, shocking. shocking. It was. Uh, I just... And especially given the brutal nature of the game and the times of which the characters lived in, uh, well, it's in the future, but, you know, in, in a narrative sense, in a fictional <laughs> sense, the, uh, the, it's just that the fact that you don't know if someone's going to live more than the next five minutes or not because there's so much mm. at stake. So, just to stand there and play through and, like you said, you sort of, you, you love and hate both characters. You just, you just go, oh, I don't yep. know who I want to win this fight. Uh, it's so, it's oh, it it hurts. It really hurts. Um, but 
Anyway, we'll discuss yep, that now. So the next one, the next one I just wanted to briefly touch on was the Megalodon sharks in uh, Sea of Thieves. They're very fun. Boss battles. Thrilling. Yeah, they are. Random. You don't have to... I mean, you don't get much of a choice whether you encounter them or not, but you get a choice whether you want to actually fight them, uh, which is always, I think, uh, a great uh, thing to do with boss fights. If they're really challenging, if you want to just make the real, I suppose, the real the real fans of the game go and seek a bigger challenge, then put them out of the main story and let them go find them. Uh, and I think this is a good example yep. of it. And just uh, just a solid yep. yeah, nah about the Meg. Just, just stay away from me, please. <laughs> they really pack the uh, the scariness, don't they? When you they hear do. that noise, and oh. you think they're in the dis- in the in the vicinity of your ship, you're jeez, you're clenching your butt very hard on the couch <laughs> straight away. <laughs> Terrible haunts your dreams. <laughs> oh yeah, it does. Oh, anyway, um, but the first serious, seriously fed income new boss fight that we haven't delved into yet, we have mentioned. I reckon we mentioned it last week. And that's actually the, the Deathstroke fight in Batman Arkham Origins. Uh, so, this mm. is something we've both played. But it's yep. fair dinkum. Fair dinkum, potentially the most satisfying uh, boss fight I've ever been involved in. And I say satisfying because it's literally like you're fighting yourself like another Batman because Deathstroke is basically... Mm. Uh, he's He's basically... In DC lore, revered as like the the one of, if not the greatest hand to hand combatant in the universe, in the in the yep. DC universe. I mean, not literally time and space. Uh, and the <laughs> he's 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 just a human like like Bruce Wayne. He's just learned, uh, gone through all of his training. Um, you know, similarly, probably some other league of assassins somewhere. Uh, but he's just um, it's it's all about the counter like countering, uh, which is encountering in the Batman combat is probably one of my favourite parts because it's like uh, we've discussed if you're mashing X to punt lay the smackdown on some other enemies, and another enemy comes up behind you and you press Y, they instantly counter as Batman from you can instantly counter from any direction basically, and all the animations just flow. Mm. There's never a, a jarring yep. break in the flow it's just really awesome so um to fight deathstroke who is counters your attacks as well it's just so cool like you're literally hitting x hitting x to punch and then you're hitting y quickly then you're hitting x again and he's you know doing his equivalent of hitting y to counter you and it's just <laughs> like it's just really cool um and i think the uh you know even starts using different weapons as well like uh, like a grapnel hook style weapon, uh, which connects you and a, an explosive barrel on two ends of a tether and rips them both together so that the barrel comes flying at you and, all that, and you have to catch it in time. Yep. And this is mid fight. Uh, and I think the reason this fight feels so good uh, is because you're literally, as I mentioned earlier, is one of the big strengths of boss fights, is you're literally proving yourself to be the best hand to hand combatant there is by beating him. Mm hmm. If you do beat him. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, there's no greater foe in this department than Deathstroke. And for anyone who's wondering, like most mainstream fans of uh, the comic book world are familiar with Deadpool. Uh, and Deadpool is actually 
based is basically a parody ripoff of Deathstroke. Uh, so if you think Deadpool's awesome and he's obviously quite violent, Deathstroke is a more se- a serious, cold hard killing version of Deadpool. Yeah. So. Yep. Um. No, no. It's, yeah, that's a good. It's uh, a good shout for that boss fight because there's nothing. There's almost no boss battle as special as that in terms of you have to literally get every single button press correct in the right order mm. in the right timing to defeat mm. him almost. Like there's no, there's almost no way around. You have mm. to go straight straight down the middle with your button presses in the exact right timing. You mess up, you'll just cop it straight in the face. Like it's mm. it's really awesome. It's so, it's so hard. Like it's really mm. tough. It took me so many goes when I played that game, and that. But yeah, I, I remember it greatly. Uh, yeah. Over many boss battles, uh, even from the Batman games, you know, it's mm. it's a good, it's a, a really good example of one for sure. And that only yeah. takes place like halfway through the game too, which is fun. Like it's not even the final fight. Yeah. Well, remember there was the big the big build up to facing the um the electrocutioner. Yep. Which has happened yeah. just before this. <laughs> there was this the big promo uh, leading up to the game coming out was about the electrocutioner having these electric gloves, and he was meant to be fearsome. And you, you literally go to fight him, and you press you press wide to counter him, and Batman just slams him, and that's it. The fight's over. That's so funny. <laughs> but so yeah. we always so instantly we're all disappointed by that. Uh, we we're thinking, oh, you know, and we thought we were going to get this awesome fight, and then, but then, well, I don't know. Twenty minutes later, we. Have a we get surprise attacked by uh, Deathstroke, who is actually in the mm. the main game, the main cinematic trailer for the game, which is yep. one of the best trailers ever. It is so sick. It is so cool. Yeah, it is a um, great trailer, mm. which which almost exemplifies what we go through in this boss battle. And it's just uh, yeah, and even the this the cinematics of the fight where we start the camera's really low behind you, whereas normally it's sort of when you're in combat, it's right hanging right back over the top of Batman so you can see everything. In this, it stays low. There's there's no HUD. So, you're literally just in that moment with Batman. And in this game, he actually has a different mm. stance, if you recall. He stands there with his back fist cocked and ready to go. Like he's sort of... it's Because yeah, this right. is sort of like a more juvenile-style Batman. He's more angry. He's just, he's just... He's as angry as anything, actually. He's really violent because it's before he learns mm, to temper his, temper his aggression. And... uh yeah, the Deathstroke fight is almost—it's almost like a lesson for Batman too, in that it teaches teaches him how to be a calm and calculated fighter rather than the brute that he's been up until this point, and almost shapes who he becomes later. Uh, and I did just want to honorable mention, give an honorable mention to that Bane boss fight at the end as well. Um, probably not yeah. worth quite going worth going into at this point, but it left its mark on us for uh, <laughs> intensity. Certainly did. Yeah. <laughs> I Left think we'll mark. go. Uh, Let's mark on I our, think we'll go more into hands. it. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll go into that more when we do an episode on Arkham Origins. But the Bane fights, uh, yeah, it's an awesome one, and that's probably a, a good example too of a boss fight that can be good in a very confined space. Mm. Um, yeah, there's not much room to move in that one, and it's super intense. So, mm. uh, yeah, big fan. Uh, before I get into any of my ones we've never done an episode on. I did write down uh, one of the great boss fights being Ganon uh, slash Ganondorf from the ending of uh, Ocarina of Time being a, a great fight because he's a character that 
sort of looms ominously throughout the game. And a couple of my boss fights sort of revolve around this. Uh, he he uh, he looms ominously and he's hinted at uh, and he even shows up a few times uh, directly with Link. Uh, and then you eventually fight, take him on in the very end with this fantastic piano uh, piano sort of themed soundtrack behind it. Uh, and it's just, it all just comes together to be this great fight. He has multiple phases, which we like. Uh, and he has interesting moveset. The music's great. Visually, it looks stunning. Um, it's just one of those one of those awesome ones, but I won't go into it because we went into Ocarina of Time, I think, in episode nine, I think is when we did Ocarina of Time. So, go yes, back and listen to, to that one if you're interested. Uh, what, the first boss battle I want to bring up that we've never spoken about, uh, we'll be doing it, we'll be doing these games sooner rather than later, I think, uh, on the list, but... That is Red uh, from Pokemon Generation 2, Gold, Silver, and Crystal. Uh, oh, facing yeah. Red at the very, very end of the game, uh, the top of Mount Silver. Uh, Red is essentially, he's essentially the protagonist from the original Pokemon games that's come back, uh, that's there in the second games. It is kind of like a reflection of Ash Ketchum almost uh, with, his, with his party. Mm. Um, and that is, I just think that's the perfect use of not only the setting being at the very top of Mount Silver that you can't access until you've done just about everything else in the whole game, which is, which in Generation 2 is a lot because it has double the amount of anything region-wise, gym-wise than any other Pokemon game. Mm. Uh, it's, it's just a, it's an awesome use of character dialogue. Uh, the, and, and I say dialogue because there is none. You yeah. talk to Red... And he just, it's just a few dots, no, no talking. And then it's straight into, straight into the most intense battle in Pokemon history uh, yeah. with some of the most greatest music in Pokemon history as well. Uh, it's, it's awesome because it's only, it's only earned by the most determined players. Mm. I would say that not 80, 75 to 80% of players that have ever played those games would never have experienced it because. It's so far through and beyond anything you you need to do in the game that it's a real reward for anybody that's come that far. Um, and the it's just it's it's intensity to the max. is what I wrote. It's uh it's just an awesome moment. It really is. I think the uh, I think the best part about it is that say save the initial journey through Johto, which is the new region in this game, is say seventy percent of the game. Uh, and then when we go mm. back to Kanto, which is where the first generation was set, which is where Ash Ketchum's from, uh, and also Red, yep. obviously, in the games, the the actual the Kanto journey is uh, almost like a really casual stroll down uh, down memory lane. It's not really like a, a huge challenge mm. or massive story driven thing. It's like a oh here's the old area. Feel free to go and have a romp and beat the you know the the gyms and in whatever order you please mm. a lot of the time and here's a couple of challenges along the way but nothing like in the main part in Johto. So when you actually, and of course in between that, once you've beat Johto, you have to go to the Elite Four and you think, oh, this is like the biggest challenge of the game. And it, which, which yep. it, it's the second biggest challenge and you, and it's really uh, awesome. So then, yeah, we get a bit of free time after in Kanto basically for an extra, uh, an extra oh, five or six hours really, like really fun. It's really great. And then you go to Mount Silver thinking, okay, here's, there's going to be this awesome collection of Pokemon I haven't seen yet and let's see what's there. 
And then you find uh, you stumble across Red, like literally in this cave on this almost platform. <laughs> and you're like, what's this? And you go up to him and it's just dot, dot, dot. And you're like, what? And then it just starts his battle and you see like his first one is uh, Pikachu, Pikachu level 81 or 84 or something yeah. like that. And it's just like- Something. And, <laughs> and if you thought you had your Pokemon at a really powerful level, this bloke made you think again because you had to grind oh, yeah. for hours more to actually get to the point to beat him because you just weren't prepared. And it was- and I thought I thought Kanto was a bit an you know, underwhelming challenge in terms of a challenge. It was just a really fun um, extra bit, and you know to see old Pokemon, like I said, go down memory lane. But to get to Red and mm. have these level yeah eighties in the eighties to about ninety Pokemon, six of them, <laughs> iconic iconic Pokemon too, like Pikachu and Dragonite and uh, yeah Charizard, Charizard, Stuff just like that. Uh, Blastoise, so cool. It was just great. I'm it's probably fair to give an on, on yeah. It's fair to give an honourable mention as well to Lance, who is the champion of the Pokemon League in Generation Two. So he's part of the Elite Four in Generation One, mm-hmm. and then he uh, he shows up throughout the game in Johto in different moments, helps you take down Team Rocket and everything. Uh, so you you do get like a fair background of this character across multiple games. And then he ends up being the secret champion of Johto uh, in a really hard fight. So, I think that's probably a nice honorable mention as well where you do get a bit of backstory and lead up to it, uh, mm. which is the opposite of Red. But Red is the, of course, Red is the uh, the peak boss battle of of Pokemon ever. So, Red, yeah, Red's already, yeah. Red, when you see Red, he's a legend instantly. You don't need the backstory because he's obviously had his own yeah. whole game before it. And it is just, yeah, he's... To say, to to be able to actually get there with these three dots, you know, like I said, ampi, uh, ampersand, whatever it's called, just say nothing, and it and for you to feel the fear that you do in a Pokemon game, you just you just you don't want to bow down to this bloke. It's just so it's really cool for such a simple game to do that to you. And Lance is a great character, and I can't wait to talk about him in the episode on Gen Two when we get there. Yep, absolutely. What else have you got? So my next one is actually. Uh, from Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which I think you're actually keen to get into now. Am I correct? Well, I might give it a go. They just released a, uh, an upgrade for 4K and 60 frames per second and all that stuff. So, I thought, oh, maybe it's a good chance to just give it a crack. Yeah, well, you should because mm. there are some excellent boss battles in that game that are a bit away from the main sort of non-fiction. Um, oh, that's... It's myth, I guess. Sorry, it is fiction, but uh, non-mythical side of things, uh, more mm-hmm. human-based. But there are some side missions where you get to actually go into these classical Greek myths and, and legends and uncover things. And this one is the Minotaur that I want to talk about. And everybody's heard of the Minotaur, I'm sure. Uh, and I don't think there's a more grotesque or tortured-seeming boss in this game than the Minotaur. Uh, mm. In terms of Greek myth, it's the... The Minotaur is known as the the captive of uh, King Minos on the Greek island of Crete, which is obviously a real island. Um, and you get to delve into this mythical labyrinth that uh, he's known to be entrapped in. And as you pass through it, you can hear the tortured and like piggish like squeal of this great half bull, half man, which is what a Minotaur is, by the way. Uh, yeah, basically the head of a bull, the body of a man, and the the torso of a man, and the legs of a uh, a bull 
So, and, and massive, like eight foot tall style thing it is huge. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's extremely difficult as our role bosses in this game, which is why I liked it so much. Even though, and drum roll here, I never actually beat it. Oh. So, well, so. <laughs> there goes all of your uh, respect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mate, I've got lots of credibility up my sleeve. But the uh, credibility is actually the word I was wanting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so it's like, and I'm I'm not familiar. I haven't played the Souls games, but I'm fam- familiar with them. Um, so like those games, this was all about the dodging and timing. You know, the quick sharp attacks, and, and it's all about the grind, and it's very intense, and it goes for about fifteen to twenty minutes to beat it. I got, I think I got to within uh, two two hits of defeating it, and I just. I just yeah, okay. didn't, get, didn't get back to it because I thought I'll go and level up a bit more. And as I mentioned uh, what, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of episodes ago, I ended up playing about 80 hours of this game when I actually was planning on just doing a 20-hour playthrough of the story So because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you, you need to grind a lot. So, And I just uh, I love this one so much because of the atmosphere that came with it, um, which I think is it's, – it's, it almost adds to the – if it's a side, you know, so it's a – it's a mission that's off to the side almost. It's not in the main quest. You can just go and find it if you want. So, they sort of build it up quickly. Everyone knows of the of the Minotaur and the Labyrinth, so it doesn't need huge amounts of uh, build up to it. Mm. Uh, but just being a massive mythology fan, to be able to fight one of the most fierce and mysterious creatures in, in um, mythology, it was just so awesome. Uh, yeah. And I think it, it just sort of in, in its own little – labyrinth area which is really dark like i said you can hear squeals there's dead bodies everywhere of people who have got in there and you actually have to go on a big quest to even find the key to open up the gates to the labyrinth which are underground and everything uh it just uh makes a real gives it a real creepy vibe so that once you actually get there it is creepy and to put the cherry on the cake i even got to wear the legendary athenian warrior theseus's armor which he's the one who actually slayed the Minotaur in mythology, so I just okay. thought that was that was pretty cool as well. So that's just a nice little side one from me. Uh, nice would have been, you know, cool if you'd said you'd beaten it, but nonetheless, it's uh, sounds pretty awesome. How about maybe this, maybe I'll beat it. How about this? I beat it. Does that make it better? Uh, well, sound we better? know you didn't, but yeah, not <sighs> really. Thanks for trying. So. Yeah. I've only got a few more. I'm not sure how many you've got to reel off, but one of the bosses that I really like uh, in a game that's sort of Souls-esque um, that we're going to definitely do an episode on uh, down the line because I want to talk about it and not just any episode, an indie rumble, uh, and that is the game Hollow Knight and it is the final boss of the game, which is the Hollow Knight and uh, that is a, it's just an awesome, <laughs> it's an awesome boss battle for something that, it's so unexpected. It's it's something that's sort of talked about through lore throughout the whole game. And yeah, people do speak about Hollow Knight being sort of a Dark Souls inspired to the uh, Metrovania sort of platformer, um, which is definitely not untrue because it has tons of boss battles and it's hard as hell. Uh, that game's really tough. But the Hollow Knight is it's such an awesome finish uh, to the game that you never really see coming. And because it's uh, 
like you, you wouldn't expect the, the final boss to be the Hollow Knight, not knowing who the Hollow Knight is or anything like that. Uh, and, it, and it's it's really hard. It's a really great spectacle. I, it's sort of hard for me to go into it without really talking about it. So I think I'll leave it till the Indie Rumble. But mm-hmm. uh, that's one of my favorites. Uh, another one of my favorites, uh, which will leave me with my absolute favorite, which I'll uh, I'll wait till the end is Bowser from Super Mario 64. And uh, the final boss fight against Bowser is one of the most... It's probably one of the most historic boss fights ever. Uh, And it's certainly one of my favorites from my childhood, at least, where even though it's the third fight against him through the game, the stakes just become instantly higher, I think. It's uh, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's it's such a long road to get there. I think you need 70 of the 120 stars to, to to even get inside the door to go towards the boss. Uh, and coming off the last two boss fights against him that are not too difficult, in this one, Bowser kind of takes his final form where he's colored all sort of uh, sort of rainbow looking uh, mm-hmm. and, and the final area is in, it's all in the sky uh, and the, the, it has changing platform conditions as well. The, the platforms, every time you spin bowser into a spike so in in the boss battles you, you pick him up by his tail and you spin around using the joystick and fling him into a big spiky thing uh i don't know it would be like a bomb i suppose yeah they're and, bombs i think yeah. yeah and uh every time you do that in this one the platform loses parts so it becomes so much more difficult because you have so much less terrain to run across because you're floating in the sky if you fall off you're done uh it's just everything about it is really it's just a really great boss fight that is very, uh, very close to my heart. Iconic too. Yeah, great music, great music. Yeah. And so, is that the is that the best Bowser fight that you come across in all of the? I know this is obviously on the list, so it probably is. It's probably self-explanatory. Uh, look, there, but it's probably the best. It's best. It's the best Bowser fight in terms of being a great memory. But I think that's because Super Mario 64 is the first game I ever really owned, you know. So, it's like it's Mm. the first boss I ever beat. In terms of Bowser boss fights, they're all good and they're all different, which I like. In I like Super Mario Galaxies because with that game, with the anti-gravity, you run around planets in, in all directions, you know, you're upside down, you're whatever. And in the boss fights against Bowser, you you actually use Mario's spin move on him and send him flying around the planet on the shell on his back. And you have to meet him as he comes around the back of the planet and sp- spin him again and flick him around the other side back and <laughs> yeah, forth. That's and pretty cool. And it's really cool. And then in Mario Odyssey, uh, in the boss fight, you pick up this... He, uh, how do you explain it? He's like, he's sort of on a, he's sort of, he's over there and you got to get to him and he's shooting sort of balls of flames at you and you got you end up picking up this hat, right? Uh, oh no, sorry. You end up knocking him down and his hat comes off and because in Mario <laughs> Odyssey, you use your Mario's hat to transform into other um, uh, creatures and things like that, you, you end up uh, picking up Bowser's hat which is basically like ten, five times the size of Mario, and he wears it on his head, and it's got these big mechanical boxing gloves on the side, and you go up towards Bowser, and you just belt the absolute crap out of him. It's uh, yeah, it's 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 really good, but I'd say 
as far as a great memory, the Sumo 64 one will always be uh, be a favourite of mine. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I used to, when I used to see my cousins and when they had it, I used to just get on the game and just go straight to the boss battle mm. just for the sake of flinging them around because it was <laughs> fun because you got to use the joystick to swing yep. him too. So that was satisfying. Yep. But I used to always just uh, enjoy finding the right painting, jumping through the paintings, which yeah. is always cool. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I think mm. it has the, the just the right amount of intrigue with the paintings and has just the right amount of uh, good game mechanics uh, with the joystick spinning and everything to make it a successful fight. And because mm. because you're facing him for the last time uh, and, yeah, just the whole atmosphere, the setting, it's it just all comes together in a great finish for that game. And then the uh, what follows it once you defeat him where Mario sort of flies off with the ending soundtrack with the credits is... One of the best uh, best sort of credits moments uh, in my gaming memory, but we'll get to that when we end up talking about the game. Do you know what just came into my head? The which I haven't thought of in years is the Portal Two uh, credit scene when all the machines are singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just recalled that then. Yeah, and it's all the um, like turret guns. Yeah, yeah, and I just <laughs> realised we probably wouldn't have included Wheatley from Port. Uh, Portal 2 in this and uh, Wheatley, 2, Wheatley in Portal 2 is a really fun end game boss fight. Yeah, I, I did think Shout of out. Portal. Uh, I did think of Portal but I I couldn't exactly remember what the boss fight was. I thought of Glad- GLaDOS and then I was like, oh, is that it? Or I'm just not sure. So, I, I couldn't remember but yes, fighting Wheatley from memory is solid. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, yeah. but I think that's more of a, they're probably more of a good villain topic rather than a boss battle topic yeah say yeah, so. so so well for my next well um, we're actually reel we're st- off sorry reel off some of reel off the rest of yours or a few more of yours because i've only got one more i want to talk about um yeah so i'll leave that to the end yeah no worries well we're staying in greece for my next one <laughs> uh and this is actually nessus the centaur from disney's hercules the playstation one game okay uh, so, this is early in the game. I think the second mission, probably the uh, third mission, the, the best one, best level even. Not missions, there were levels back then, damn it. And <laughs> we've actually got to fight through a forest. Uh, and this is all this is all uh, 2D for anyone who's familiar. It's like a almost like a cartoon flat character uh, while the background's got a bit of 3D depth to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've just got to say, we've got to save Megara, the damsel in distress. Uh, and... It was a really easy fight, but basically at the end of the level, you, you've got to jump down into this sort of uh, swampy pond area and uh, Nessus is there and he's the big blue centaur from the movie. I don't know if you remember the movie, Will, uh, but he's, no, about, he's, about, <laughs> he's about eight or nine feet uh, tall, um, muscly, muscly as hell and really aggressive. And it's just, it's really cool because when he's, when he comes up and rears up and does his kicks, it sort of vibrates the screen and the controller a bit. You mm-hmm. just sort of really, for a nineteen ninety seven game, I think it really you just sort of get the get the feel for the raw power of this character mm-hmm. in the cool little ways that they could actually demonstrate it back then. Uh, so a- as a kid, um, being Hercules was like being a superhero, really, uh, which he effectively was within the Greek pantheon. Uh, so being this buff bloke taking on a towering, ugly, ang- angry uh, centaur as seen in the movie, uh, was so satisfying. It was like being your movie cat, favorite movie star. Mm. Um, but the best part of this uh, 
fight though is that once Nessus is stunned and defeated just from basically you got to just run in and um, punch or hit him with your sword after he comes and tries to wallop you. Uh, you um, Hercules, you've got to walk up to him and do his big wind-up punch, which is just this big <laughs> t- typical just winding his fist up and then he just smacks him and launches him like straight up into the sky. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like he literally just goes whack and he, and he just flies out of the screen like so quickly and uh, then he comes crashing back down and gets this big foot tall lump on the top of his head which his horseshoes come and down and land on like a, <laughs> like a game of horseshoes. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> he, then he just collapses and you've saved Megara. But it's just the reason I treasure it so much is that uh, for such an early game, which I played as a you know five-year-old, five or six-year-old, um, it really shows the strength of Hercules and the idealistic hero that every kid wants to be. Mm. So it's just a sort of early on example from my childhood. And uh, then to move on to the next one, we're actually staying in Hercules because I thought of it on this trip down memory lane. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, okay. we're staying in Greece and that's just the, the Hydra, which everyone might be familiar with from the movie. And uh, basically, the Hydra is just this the big, big creature. Uh, every time you cut a head off it, it spawns two more heads. And eventually, you've got to contend with seven different heads. And it's very superhero-esque, even a bit gruesome because you, uh, you're trying to... Uh, you've actually got to cut the heads off with your sword at the right time. And mm. uh, this big green goo comes out of it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you're trying to save the city of Thebes, which was just really fun as a kid. Uh, but I think it's just the... Almost just the size. Like, the size and power of this enemy is just always satisfying so it's always good to have a big powerful enemy if it makes sense to the story like i said so this is mythology yeah. so sure throw us throw us a seven-headed dragon anytime you need <laughs> really mm. um but yeah so that's just another nod from hercules uh, nice. i just really enjoyed it nice. uh which is probably less story driven in a game than any of our other examples uh, yeah, I mean, the games back then were not exactly narratively uh, driven like no. I, as much as today. I think today mm. there's this uh, perception that games have to be so narratively driven, which we enjoy, don't get me wrong. Mm. But uh, there's nothing wrong with a game that is just there to be fun as well, which is what yeah. I think what they focus on in the old days. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. So, I think and even just talking about Hercules and how one's a, a centaur, which sure isn't too big and fearsome, but it's, it's a direct threat you actually have to handle, uh, then going onto a seven-headed hydra slash dragon, which is basically a dragon, it actually shows, as a kid, shows the kids how the, you know, ne- the next challenge might be bigger than the next. It sort of makes sense in mm. that sort of story flow on. Yep. Uh, which is why I appreciate them so much. And as it did, like I said, I... You know, if I was an adult and played them, I wouldn't care. But I just definitely wanted to put them in there because they were. I used to go back and just to play those levels to fight those creatures all the time as a kid. So yeah, okay, probably deserves to be there. Yeah, no, for sure. Now the next one, and yes, I'm flying through a few just to. Uh, but you you will know a few. So hmm. this is a. Uh, there's some good ones in here. So right, you've got the floor. The next one. 
The next one is uh, from series we played through co-op together, and that is the Berserkers from Gears of War. Yep. Uh, so this time we're heading to Sierra, the planet of Sierra, and so the the Berserkers <laughs> are basically. I thought it took place in Greece. <laughs> oh, it would have been easier. We've done it all <laughs> all while I was there. Yeah. Um, so the Berserkers are uh, basically female locusts, which are like the enemy race in the Gears of War games, mm-hmm. uh, and they're quite superior to the males. So the males are the drones who are, you know, six foot tall and, uh, you know, shoot. They're the ones who are in combat. But the female locusts, the Berserkers, are about eight foot tall. Muscly is the Hulk. Their yeah. hide is literally bulletproof. They're, and they they scream bloody murder. Like, they screech and it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and uh, they hear everything, um, which they need to because they're blind. Yeah. Which is very interesting. And all that, uh, plus they rip you to pieces in about uh, one second. That's an understatement. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... The the main iconic uh, Berserker battle in the series for mine is the very first one uh, when you finally make it into the Tomb of the Unknown after this big battle in the streets with the Locust um, only for a sickening screech to be heard when you get in there. It's all dark and gloomy. And one of the soldiers who's just a nameless goon uh, or what are they called? Uh, Grunt. Uh, mm. Runs off in terror. And as he runs around the corner, these big, big shadows cast on the wall from from him as this uh, big Hulk-like creature just um, comes out and just rips him to pieces, basically, <laughs> and like yeah. blood sprays on the walls and everything. <laughs> uh, and now, as it sort of it sort of leaves, and as we come back to gameplay, Marcus, who's the protagonist, uh, tells us that it's a berserker, and we don't, even though we're playing as him, we don't know what that actually is. Mm. But we obviously know that some fearsome thing that everyone already knows about. Yeah, so a bit we, of mystery uh, doesn't hurt the situation. No, exactly. So we've got to slowly creep our way through the dark tomb now uh, just to find a way out. And right when tension's at its peak as we're trying to sneak around and figure out what the hell we're actually meant to, going to do, the berserker just crashes through the wall in front of you. Uh, and if if you make it the slightest noise, like if you stop walking and, you know, hop a bit to run or you change, you reload your gun or you shoot your gun. It just streams at you as fast as anything. <laughs> like big, like a big American football player just charges and it's just like, oh, it's, it's and you have to dive out of the way. A lot of the time, your first go, you would literally just be ran into and exploded to bits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is always fun with us trying to both navigate some of these areas in yeah. tight spaces again. Reminds me of that uh, boss fight in Gears Five with um, with the massive charging uh, monster where you got to freeze the, it. The matriarch. Matriarch, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's some intense stuff and so t- so difficult. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and just in and it ends up being the same. I think about three appear in the first game, but. So it's not a uh, a main boss as such. It's sort of like a, a mini boss almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what you've got to do is actually using uh, making sound at the right times. You have to actually 
get the berserker to chase you outside uh, yeah. to under yep. open sky so that you get this hammer of dawn out which is like a mega satellite laser weapon oh yeah yeah, which you loved. Uh, yeah, I love that and, thing. <laughs> <laughs> and you've you've basically got to use the hammer of dawn on it to heat it up so much that it's it's um yeah like it's steel thick hide melts enough or heats up enough so that you can actually shoot bullets through it, mm. which is for like a five second period. It's a really cool mechanic. Uh, which and we haven't used the hammer of dawn up until this point. Oh no, we had sorry. I think we had, and we so we've got to. You know, learn how to use it uh, in really quick timing because you've got to get it to find the target uh, in a really short um, period of time because it takes a few seconds to load up and it's so intense while this thing's streaming at you. Yep. Uh, and it's um, yeah, it's just a, it's just really interesting. I think it's a fantastic boss boss type that pops up a few times throughout the game, and again in Gears of War three as a, a mutated type. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lambert, as you might remember, and again yeah, yeah. In, in Gears Five, is that matriarch, uh, which is that prototype version of the of the uh, Berserker. So it's mm. basically the ultimate version. That is so scary when you come around oh. the corner and you see it's out of the out of its big <laughs> containment chamber, and you're yeah. like, "Where is it?" <laughs> you it's know, just, it's just exhilarating. Yeah, it is. You know, I'm surprised that you didn't put the. Um uh, that fight against those two dudes in Gears Judgment and we did 600 times in the bad boss fights. <laughs> I was well, always was, waiting for it. They were berserkers and I thought it's worth mentioning but I also, I didn't want to uh, ruin our Saturdays talking about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll come back to that at some point. Um, hmm. Any more? I do. Why don't I do you have g- a couple more. Yeah, okay. Yeah, go for it. Well, just quickly, we've got a couple that you can. We've both played, and I've got two that I've played. So, just one. I wanted to talk about the Alien from Alien Isolation. Mm. Fantastic horror game. Uh, I suppose. So, and, yeah. Did you find that as a boss, though? Well, that's what I'm coming at. A slightly different tact on this one, because it isn't a typical boss battle per se, but it's like a boss struggle because it literally goes. <laughs> yeah. through, it's, it goes to the entire game. It's yeah. It's yeah. always stalking the corridors and we're talking about from the movie Alien so picture that and it stalks the corridors the whole time throughout mm. you're always avoiding it it's always the threat of instant death and you never know when it's going to attack from um, but the fact that it's totally unscripted besides having some predictabilities in its retaliation is just spectacular and yeah. the reason it's why got it's the, so good it's got it's yeah it's basically you might have written it down but it's basically like the same as thing as Mr. X Resident Evil 2 Hmm. It's just that, just that ominous threat that's always looming in the distance that will attack you if provoked or, or nearby. And yeah, it's hmm. yeah, we well actually with Mister X, it does end up in a not uh, not too bad boss fight where you got to destroy him with like a rocket launcher. But yeah, hmm. um, it yeah, and Mister X is worth a mention too because in similar to, to the Alien, he's it's almost just like a it almost means a boss fight isn't necessary. Because yep. it's literally just stalking you the whole time, uh, and it's just a, it just almost embodies the tension throughout the entire game. Whereas Mister X comes in a bit later, so the tension's already there from the game, mm-hmm. and the alien is the tension in the game. But Mister X can't, finds a way to concentrate it all into just him. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. Suddenly, like, so everything else in the game is not scary at all. <laughs> yeah, 
Exactly. And he's not there as a cheap scare or a flash in the pan. He's actually there as a part of the very environment you're trying to escape. Like mm-hmm. he is the trap basically. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it forces you to be brave and tackle on what you would have previously considered a terrible enemy that you try to avoid because now that he's literally just following you and differently to the alien, alien can just pop up wherever. Yeah. But but Mr. X literally just walks exactly the exact path you do. And you can just hear him oh, coming from a distance after you, you know you've you've sprinted for two minutes to the opposite side of the building, and after about three minutes, you can hear his stomping <laughs> footsteps. Oh, and it's just like, oh my god! And uh, uh, man, when's Tom gonna play that? I oh know, I oh know, Tom, play that. <laughs> and yeah, it's just, I guess it it just takes the both both enemies. They just take their game to such a level of intensity that uh, a single boss fight couldn't couldn't do yeah no um, i've got two quick ones for you yep then i promise i'll shut up <laughs> so i've got <laughs> i've wanted to give a nod to the legendary ships of assassin's creed 4 black flag okay because i've never felt so un- outgunned in my life and and these are a great uh example of a uh, boss fight that's outside of the main story so there is, uh, I guess, they're basically just for those real fans who just want that massive challenge. So mm-hmm. if you've if you're sailing around grinding your way through, uh, these might be the last things you complete. Whereas if you beat the story, you know the story is challenging enough, but this lets you take things to the next level. And I think yeah. just the main strength of these battles is they're literally like ships that are about the size of the Queen Mary two, with about a <laughs> hundred cannons on a broadside. Like and they can turn on the dime, and when you see them in the distance looming large, as they break through all this sea mist, or they come up over a wave right in front of you, and you're at the bottom of the wave, it's it is just it's so intimidating, like a me. It is just yeah, it's haunting. Uh, <laughs> and you've just got to the main strength is it requires you to master like uh, basically all of your upgrades and weapons to that to that point. So from cannon fire timing to the type of cannonballs used, uh, to knowing when to flee, when to duck for cover, uh, you know, when to turn hard or, or soft in your ship and all in about a five-second period. Mm. Like, it is it is terrifying. I really should play that one day. Yeah, you should. And it's uh, this is a, it's very much a, a deviation from the typical Assassin's Creed, uh, I suppose, style of gameplay. This is all about just being a pirate. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of, it's more, um, uh, I'm more inclined to give it a go finally now that we've played so much Sea of Thieves and I know how much we enjoy the pirate life, so it makes sense, mm. but yeah. Yeah. And the l- very last one that Is I Is this like your to- favourite boss battle or? like no, it was not. What was one of these your absolute favourite boss battle or no? No, no. they weren't. Because the one I'm, the- I'm going to talk about is my favourite boss battle ever. Mm. And I and I wish I had a, I wish I could think of what my favourite one is. Honestly, if we're talking about that, because I was planning on leaving Mister X till the end, but it made sense to bring it in. Mister X could be my favourite boss struggle <laughs> <laughs> all the time. So yeah, I, I love what he does to the game. But mm. uh, in terms of difficulty, though, this is probably the hard, uh, my hardest. And this is um, in God of War, uh, PS4 uh, version is uh, Queen Sigrun of the Valkyries. 
Yeah, you know, you'd you'd recall me talking to you while I'm trying to defeat this thing. <laughs> uh, about fifty took me about fifty goes. And yeah, it was, I, I appreciated the um, uh, the the determination you had that day. Yeah. It was impressive. <laughs> yeah. So it's basically she's uh the Valkyries are essentially the I think seven or nine nine like female warriors that are selected by Odin to take the the dead the souls of the dead through to the afterlife or Valhalla or uh, or hell basically mm. but they're also uh, warriors and they're really really fearsome characters in in mythology uh, also obviously in Thor Ragnarok we got a Valkyrie in that being. Her name's Valkyrie, so you know <laughs> there's Marvel version. Uh, but this is after you've hunted, I think the other, the eight other Valkyrie, and you've filled their count the this uh this council area like a chambers basically where they all sit on this seat as like ghostly figures. Once you've saved them, because they're basically stuck in this haunted armor that like, I think Odin's trapped them in again or something like that. It's, it's something bizarre, mm. but basically. Uh, a, she's a the Queen Sigrun is a combo of all of the ones you've already defeated because they all have slightly different powers or ways of fighting. Uh, and again, not part of the main quest, so only a challenge for those who seek it, uh, which I think is the best way to do it, providing because uh, it'll if it's this hard in the story, no one would finish the story. Like, <laughs> no, it's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Two of and, them was enough for me. Yeah. Yeah, so fighting as as Kratos, you've just got to gear up your your uh, all your favorite runes and abilities, and get your weapons just prepared right before you start. Because as soon as you summon her by uh, touching this portal, you she just spears you and drags you along the ground, throws you, and and then it's game on. And she closes space super quick. She's devastating up close, and she hurls these unblockable attacks from a distance. And I think the best thing about Queen Sigrun is that even though it's not in the main story, uh, it's very much related to the the greater lore of, I think, where the series is going mm. uh, because you're actually freeing her to return her to sit at the Council of Valkyries. So, the, the challenge uh, presumably lends itself to future games or at the very least adds an extra layer to the beautiful complexity of this such rich um, narrative, you know, the lore and all the implied, the subtext almost that's littered throughout through, um, you know, via all of these law markers that you find. And, uh, yeah, and it's just one of our one of our favorite games of all time. And, and it's not even a, you know, a lot of people wouldn't even get to the point where they fight her. And she's she very much demands your very, very best. So, yeah, I think well, it's, it's similar, similarly to Red where you earn the right to, to face her, like you have hmm. to be good enough and determined enough to get there. And then I think the payoff is something challenging enough that it's frustrating, of course, because it'll take you multiple goes, but defeating that will, uh, like I'm sure you have a greater appreciation for the game now than you did before because, uh, you, yeah, you only came Definitely. back to do this a couple of years after first playing it. So, um, hmm. it would have changed your whole mindset on the game, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I can't see myself ever doing it. To be honest, I might one day, <laughs> but I'd wait I, for the second one now. Yeah, I fought, I fought two and two of them, and yeah, it was just tough. I don't know. I was like, mm. oh god, I can't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. All of all of the Valkyries, because you have to go and find them throughout the map. They're all very very difficult, 
uh, to say the least, a couple are harder mm. than the others. So then when you get to Sigrun, and I thought I'd be- defeated them all already when I got back and had to fight her, I, my heart sank because I, I just didn't think I had that much fight left in me by that point. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so, yeah, I guess yeah. The, common theme, the common theme throughout all of my favorite boss fights is just as much as where they sit in my heart sentimentally throughout my gaming journey as well but just it just all like we've we've mentioned at the start it's just very important that they make sense to that character's existence within the game i mm. just don't want them shoehorned in there or if they are shoehorned they better make it a 10 out of 10 gameplay experience yeah uh, so i think um yeah I, all these boss battles are fantastic for uh, different reasons so i'm pretty excited to hear what your number one is because uh and I wish I wish I had a number one for, for now, but you're definitely the more of the boss battling type of gamer if there ever was a between the two of us. <laughs> you wouldn't think so, considering who's been talking straight for the last hour. Uh, yeah, is it is it dinner time yet? <laughs> so this is my favorite boss ever, and unfortunately, for everyone out there listening, and you, I. I'm going to tell you what it's from and what it is. I'm not going to tell you who it is because this is a game that a few of us in the, our friend circle want you to play and that you are considering and, I, and I'd really like you to get there yourself. So, the final boss uh, of the game Bloodborne is my favorite my favorite boss of all time. Ooh. And I won't tell you, I'm not going to tell you who it is because it will ruin it because it's the... It's the unsuspecting nature of this character that you would never you would never think that it would be a boss fight is what makes it so special. And it also happens in a place of the game, in the game where you uh, you would never expect to fight in either. And it's uh it's just everything comes together so perfectly for this final fight and uh, it's one of the most magical it's it's one of the best gaming uh, experiences of my life. Like it's uh, it propelled Bloodborne to insane heights in my mind as far as games go and uh, it's really awesome but basically you come to this final fight uh, and yeah you wouldn't suspect the person but the, the great thing about it is it, ha- it has all the best uh, attributes of a boss fight the setting is insanely good the combat is so difficult but fair because it's kind of a Bloodborne is such a hard game and you learn so many skills fighting all of the bosses in different ways and this boss fight feels like the perfect combination of everything you've learned then and then some. So, it's mm-hmm. just the perfect payoff to finish the game and uh, and it also can branch into three different endings and, and all this stuff. So, it's, it's just the whole package is perfect. Well, look, Will, I know, you, I know you've been trying to be a nice friend and everything here but for the sake of the yeah, millions and millions of rumblers <laughs> world, worldwide that are listening right now. I just, I just think you should dive into it. I think you've got to tell the people what it is about this fight. If you like, I can take my headphones off and you just, you just give me a thumbs up when you want me to tune back in. Because <laughs> there won't be much I can add anyway. But I really think it would be great to hear more about this. Because you sound, being given your favourite, it sounds like it's pretty damn good. Yeah, I just don't want. I just want you to play the game and I don't want this to be ruined for you <laughs> uh, because even if it's potentially dropped, uh, 
some people probably knew it was coming before they got to it, but in my playthrough, I didn't see it coming and it shocked me and it was just the best payoff ever. It's not that much I can go into it if I did say who it was, but it's it's someone that's sort of around throughout the whole game, I, I suppose. Like there's it's someone that's sort of there the whole time that ends up being someone that you would never even have thought they are. <laughs> so it's it, the mystery makes it makes this fight, and then yeah, it's this beautiful like it's this beautiful sort of plane. Pl- uh, this the playing field is like. It's not that big. It's sort of this small hill uh, and it's got this really nice uh, flat, white sort of uh, long flowers and grass across it and just just the whole scene, like the whole cutscene before you fight where you're looking, you can see the boss and you can see you in this amazing shot. It's like it, it, it looks like it's straight out of a feature film. Like it's it's so good and then... You just it's just silence and then the person just stands up and it's go time and oh man I ah oh. <laughs> it's so well, good I'm not saying who it is I won't I won't but anyone out there that's played Bloodborne knows exactly who I'm talking about and luckily for you, you and everyone listening to the podcast we're definitely going to do an episode on Bloodborne one day so I can rant for like two hours about it and you're going to have played it by then and we're going to love it and everyone's going to well, hear it well. I yeah. guess if you don't want to, if you don't want to go into the finer details of the main villain, because I know you've spoken about Bloodborne so many times, and again we're going to do an episode on it at some point, and I will play it for the episode. I mean, for you as well, obviously. Uh, but what, like, what's so good about Bloodborne and its boss fights? Because I, I know that it, that is the what defines the game, or its its boss fights. It's almost in the, you know, it's in those Souls games, um, mm. basically timeline. So I guess what. You know, it, and and even I guess what makes it good environmentally and all that sort of thing as well. Because I'm not, I'm personally not sure if how narrative driven the game is. And evidently, it is. At least that last battle, obviously, is a big, uh, a big plot point. So, yeah, it's, is there anything you can sort of dive into just specifically about the boss fights in that game? I think the thing that makes Bloodborne so good is that the combat itself is so fun and engaging. It's not, you know, if you ever play a Dark Souls game or Demon Souls, the combat can feel very heavy because your play is quite a, and there's tons of different play styles. Let me say that you could be, definitely be a light, light on the armor, but a lot of the play style in, in Dark Souls is very armored, heavy swinging, and uh, parrying, blocking with shields, things like that. Bloodborne is just this extremely fast-paced crazy fighting with these insane weapons and guns as well like you have a gun in your left hand and you have a massive axe or or sword or scythe or something in your right hand and you literally just beat the living shit out of each other like it's it's so (laughs) fun and every boss every boss is so unique and different and they all bring their own um really really tough uh move sets to the table like there's there's beasts big beasts and monsters there's other hunters that you fight um like they're they're all just so different and when you match when you put some of these bosses together uh with the incredible scenery built into that game and the amazing orchestral soundtrack it just makes for this it just makes for the most magical moments in in games and in boss fights 
generally. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's hard to explain how, how amazing it is. Sure, the game has a really tough uh, learning curve, but once you get it, it's really hard to stop playing because it's so damn um, addictive. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's something really special about that game that I want you to experience fully uh, and I'll be there right by your side. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, I'm glad you said that because it makes me more keen to play it now. Now that I know there's a, a big plot twist. So, I love that. I think the game, you can play Bloodborne and you, you could just not go anywhere near any of the lore and you could just go through and, and beat up beat up enemies and fight bosses and that's it. I think the law is there for someone like you that loves narrative to find, but I think you have to mm-hmm. go find it. Yeah, and that's I cool. think the the game is built around its combat and its boss battles first, and then the law is there behind it. But yeah, for someone like you, you'll you'll find it for sure. Mm. And I think that yeah, it just reiterates our point, doesn't it? That the even if it's not. You know, if someone's gameplay driven and they come in to play something like Bloodborne, they just want to hack and slash. It's good that they can just do that. But if someone, mm. say like myself, maybe like you to maybe a lesser extent, needs that anchor that actually pins the battle to the story, uh, if, as long as that's there to find, that's uh, that's a that's actually a great way to um, implement a almost like a, a gameplay centric game. Yeah. Oh, the gameplay into it. Yeah, because uh, it's good. It's good to have that the option to appeal to both types of players rather than just going one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Nah, you'll love it, and and I can come into your game and help you fight everything as well, so we can do it all together. No, I can't wait. Yeah, well, that's all I've got as far as bosses go. That's all you've got. Yeah. What What else is that? It are we done? Is it lunchtime or is it dinner time? It's lunchtime. Ooh, yummy. Because, it, I mean, it's actually, it's like nearly midnight, but we, we also skipped lunch because I think when I started talking, it was about 11 a.m. By the time I finished, <laughs> it was at 11 p.m. Yeah. So. <laughs> so self-aware. So self-aware, yeah. Yeah, uh, no, it's been fun. It's been a good episode. Hmm. Do you have any hot, hot, hot questions for me, Will? I don't have any hot, hot questions for you. Do you have one for me? Yeah, here's one for you. I I want to know what one key factor in a game, similar to the question I asked you last week actually, but what's more important to a good boss fight? Environment that, it's ta- that it takes place in? Mm. The, the point of the story it takes place in? The... Probably the relevance to your protagonist's arc, which is story, but say specifically to your character. Or is the music the most important part? Or, or, or other? I think it's a it's kind of a funny question because I think the main thing that we've learnt in this last however long we've been talking, two hours, is probably that to make a great boss fight, all of the above has to come together to just make something perfect, to just to just make that magic. But if I have to pick one thing, it would definitely be the story leading into it because, yeah, 
nothing ever happens without motivation. It's the same as a movie. Like if if the character kills someone in a film, like you say a character shoots someone in the face without motivation. <laughs> you you're not going to f- not only you're not going to feel that bad for the person on the floor, you're also not going to um uh you're not going to hate the person that took the shot either. Because if you don't know why they did it or why why the person was shot, you don't have any context to feel any emotion for either character. So mm. if you go into a boss fight without any context or good context that for that matter, then what are you fighting for? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I agree. And so, I, but I and I do I did realize that in in discussing uh, my great boss battles that I didn't actually focus on the environment so much and i'm a i'm not a huge fan of a typical arena style uh, environment so i think i think even though story is probably the key point uh something like a uh like a great environment that almost lets you breathe or adds you know makes the size of the villain if it, you know say if it's a giant if they give them that space to breathe and be huge and look more imposing uh the you know the better uh but and i, I guess that it's, it's probably environments always probably played played a bigger played a bigger part in how i th- think of boss fights and i've ever actually acknowledged mm. so it'd be interesting from now on for me to actually focus on the i guess the arena whether it's literally arena or figuratively uh and sort of see how that affects me because I'm sure down the track we could actually do another episode of Boss Battles uh, because uh, we've probably missed about 300 each. Oh, yeah. That we'd love to talk <laughs> no, about. No so. doubt. It, yeah. I, I just want to say as well that uh, two things. With the arena, one of the great things about like Bloodborne is the example I'll use is that you can – and the arena can be anywhere. The thing about that game is that especially when you play for the first time and, you know, the first time you play that game, you're very scared to do anything because anything could be around the corner and it's so hard and you don't want to die or whatever. You could walk into just like a cathedral that's just over there, the doors open and then you turn around and the doors fogged out. You can't leave because there's a boss inside but you didn't yeah. even realize, you know. Um, so, like, I think the the changing environments in that game is what makes some of the settings so special because they're so unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing I wanted to say was boss fights, and we didn't really bring this up during the whole episode until now, but the music actually plays a huge part in in boss fights. I think the right the right music can really set the tone of the fight from the very get go. And I think, yeah, I don't have an example off the top of my head, but if you if you set the wrong tone through music for the boss uh i think it would really throw off the whole balance of the the room if that makes sense mm. like it would just mm. really stuff it so music is very important to that kind of thing and and again it's the same as like a film it's like imagine if the music for um the fire between anakin and obi-wan in Revenge of the sith just bombs like it you wouldn't remember it nearly as good mm. yeah yeah for sure oh and even yeah speaking of the that's not a boss fight, but we spoke about the Arkham City menu music last week and how that mm. uh, when you get into start the game up, you already feel like you've lost a battle because of the way it's sort of yeah. shifted, like you feel desperate already. And and even even speaking of, of two of our favorite uh, games ever, the Ori, uh, Ori in the Blind Forest and 
or the Will of the Wisps. Uh, speaking of, of um, those games, when we have boss battles in there, they're actually really, it's really sweet music still, but it's almost like a tortured serenity sort of music, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like it's really serene still, but enough to make, but sort of sad because you know that the thing you're attacking is just like a, a creature or a, a thing of wildlife or something that's corrupted that you really actually don't want to hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it it actually ups that ante again and just uh yeah, just it makes you hurt in the right way. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I totally agree. Mm. So it'd be yeah, music music's always the forgotten thing in the visual world. Oh, wait till you hear the music in Bloodborne. My god. <laughs> My god. I can I imagine it being similar to a a cheap uh 2000s horror movie credit scene with just you know some black metal goth rock <laughs> no S- swedish for everyone out there listening if you haven't played it go on youtube and look up the cleric beast boss fight uh and listen to the music behind that uh yeah you'll be stunned you'll be <laughs> stunned yeah well mm. this has been a good chat i think we're we've definitely run long enough uh to over two hours who would have thought we'd speak for this long uh it's been good over two hours yeah good lord i know it felt like it felt like only an hour felt like only yesterday we started (laughs) 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 no it's been fun been fun doing the podcast so far 21 episodes in plenty more to come plenty Mm -hmm. that we've planned some unplanned we're excited Mm -hmm. to just keep it rolling so if you yeah, if, you, if we ever have any updates, if you want to know what's coming next, follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Real Rumble Pack, Gmail, great, Gmail, yeah, go on. Uh, what's the what's that one that Google had for a while, uh, for a little bit? There was like a Google social media. It was uh, Google. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, what was it? Uh, I'm sure it was great though. I, it looked really lame. I think they integrated it with YouTube at some point, so I actually had it for for one for one point, but like for no real reason. Oh, know. Google Plus. Google Plus was that what it was? Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah it was terrible. It was really bad. MySpace was better. <laughs> Follow us on MySpace. We should make shank. a MySpace. Yeah, we should actually. Yeah, uh, yeah and that's still going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, and yeah, we we can't wait to get back in person and start actually cranking these out because. And we do actually have a few uh, bonus episodes that are going to be littered throughout the next uh, few weeks. So, keep your eye out for them. We will notify you on social media when they're up and about. So, definitely follow us. You should be following us. If you're not following us, what are you doing? <laughs> That's Seriously. <a> bit rough. <laughs> We're posting on Instagram on Sundays. We're doing our, uh, our weekly random game of the week. Yep. Uh, well, from our, from our collections, like a game from our collection. Every weekend, every Sunday. And and next week, I am moving house and I will be unpacking all of my games, which I've got more hard copies than Will. Even that Will's played more, I've got more hard copies. So, we've, uh, we should have at least the next 10 years uh, of uh, random Sunday games. Of Sunday covered. content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you've got to subscribe to those Sundays. Yeah, beautiful. All right, well, it's been fun. Until next time. See you later. Thank you. Thank you and bye.